Well, a man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. And while they were there, the mother-in-law sadly passed away. And the undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for like 5000 This must be old. It's probably 20000 But Okay. <laughs> or you can have her buried here in the Holy Land for just $150. And so the man thought about it. And he said, no, nah, I'll just have her shipped home. And the undertaker said, why would you spend all that money to ship your mother-in-law home when she could be buried in this wonderful place, the Holy Land, for $150? Well... A man died here 2,000 years ago, was buried here, and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyways, as we come to John 11, we are given the seventh and final miraculous sign of Jesus in this gospel account. And the primary purpose of this amazing miracle is the glory of God. And in these verses, we are given a great deal of truth, really, to apply to each of ourselves when we face suffering and heartache and God's apparent delays to hear or answer our prayers. As always, with God in control of every situation, there is a lot more going on that he is orchestrating to bring about his will. Lazarus' death would give opportunity for Jesus to be glorified, for his followers to believe and be strengthened in their faith, and it would also be the catalyst and the final straw amongst the Jewish religious leaders to bring about the death of Jesus. So all of us who have lost loved ones to death know the sorrow and grief that comes through the pain of separation. And in truth, physical death is really like a divine object lesson of what it means to die spiritually. Physical death ends life and separates people, and spiritual death separates people as well from God. And it is, the death, it is in death that we clearly see the horrific impact of sin. Death came to all who would ever live the moment Adam disobeyed God and died spiritually, and everyone after would do the same. But the good news is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So we look at the miracle at Bethany, and it begins with... Lazarus being very ill. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So these verses speak of a certain man who had become very ill. It doesn't go into a lot of detail about him because he's really not the focus of the story. This man, Lazarus, is identified by the village in which he lived and by the name of his two sisters. This village of Bethany, as you know, is like two miles from Jerusalem, and clearly it was a place familiar to the Lord because he was close to this family and spent time with them. John further clarifies that this was the Mary that had anointed Jesus' feet with ointment, and it was her brother that was sick. So we'll see that in a few minutes in chapter 12. So concerned sisters now send word about their brother, who is critically ill, to Jesus. We read in verse 3, So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place that he was. So these two sisters deeply loved their brother. Clearly, his death was now imminent, and they knew Jesus had a deep love for their brother. They also knew he had the power to heal him. 
And the messenger sent by the sisters likely took a day to reach Jesus because he was across the Jordan. It's likely Lazarus died before the messengers even got there to Jesus, something he would have known anyway already. The message from the sisters simply appealed to the Lord's love and affection for Lazarus. They didn't tell him what you need to do. Um, they knew that Jesus uh, had healed so many back in their area, but it was dangerous for Jesus to come back there at this time. And they wanted him to know, though, that his friend was very sick. The response of Jesus is that Lazarus' death would not be the final outcome to this situation. Just as in the case of the blind man that was healed in chapter 9, so the illness here and the death and the resurrection of Lazarus is all about the glory of God. Clearly, sickness and death is the will of God in the life of every believer, though many teach that's not true. You should always be well and healthy, and I guess no one would ever die if you took that to its final conclusion. But Lazarus' suffering and ultimate death would be the means of bringing great glory to Jesus. So Jesus was so close to this family. He really loved each of them and very deeply. And his delay in staying two more days away from the family was not because he had a lack of compassion or love for their pain that they were going through. It's likely Lazarus, as I said, was dead by the time the messengers informed Jesus that he was ill. But God had purposes in the delays. He would give strength to these sisters as they are forced to trust Jesus. And in this delay, there is proof that Lazarus is truly dead. Therefore, the miracle of Jesus raising from, from the dead would be a sign that many people would believe. It's not like he was unconscious for a few days and kind of revived. He's dead. <clears throat> God knows what he's doing, and he's on his own timetable to accomplish what his will is. Clearly for the sisters, this did not make sense to them as they were walking through, watching him suffer and watching him die. The disciples also have a lesson to learn. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to him, fell, uh, to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So once this two-day delay uh, was done, Jesus said it was time to go now to Bethany. And the disciples were amazed that Jesus was willing to go back to a place that was so hostile toward him. Jesus spoke about the one who walks in the day as having no need to fear. In other words, the prescribed time of his life made it safe for him to travel, as there was not, it was not yet the end of his earthly ministry. Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that he meant Lazarus is dead. This is ultimately for their good because what his disciples were about to witness would give incredible strength to their faith. And the response of Thomas is one of great courage and willingness to die with Jesus. He was sincere, but we all know <laughs> it's just a very short time and they're all gone. And their courage would give way to their fears. 
so now we have the arrival of Jesus in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. And, uh, but Mary stayed in the house. So Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And, the, and she said, well, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with Mary in the house and consoling her, when they saw that she got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing her sister said. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? Well, we're constantly reminded of the fact that life is brief. Soon it's gone and we fly away. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Jesus arrives at the outskirts of Bethany where Lazarus has been dead, as I said, four days. His body has started to decompose. Martha rushes out to meet him and states what was on her heart and mind. If only you had been here, he wouldn't have died. This is a grief-stricken woman, and though she has confidence that her brother is going to rise again one day, she still is filled with great grief, and she had the faith that God, that Jesus could have healed her brother, but Jesus having the power to raise her brother from the dead, that never entered her mind. When Jesus said Lazarus was raised from the dead, he meant, you know, like in a couple minutes. Martha assumed he spoke of a time way in the future. Jesus then challenges her to have her faith beyond belief in the final resurrection, stating clearly that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus will raise the dead in the future, but he had the power to do so right at this moment with her brother. He wants Martha to trust him alone as the one who has the power over death. Jesus gives such hope to the hurting heart. He makes it clear that all who believe in him have eternal life and they will never die spiritually. Life doesn't end because of physical death. That's only the gateway to true and perfect and actual eternal life. To believe this truth is the only way to have true comfort and hope and peace in the midst of pain and separation because of death. So Martha makes it clear, and a very bold confession then of her faith. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one who comes into the world. She believed he was the deliverer sent by God. Then Martha goes and calls her sister to come and see Jesus. It would seem Jesus maybe wanted a private word with Mary, but the mourners all followed her when she left the house. 
And Mary sees Jesus and says the same thing, so full of grief and heartache, she longed for Jesus to have been there and heal her brother. With these two women, he loved in tears, and other family members around, weeping, and friends as well. He is moved in his spirit. He was troubled. He was distressed, even angered, really by the impact of sin and death, or possibly as well by the professional mourners who are just doing their crying job. But we see here intense emotions by the Lord as he saw the impact of death and the agony that it brings to everybody. And even though Jesus knew he was just about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he entered into the pain and agony and suffering caused by the death of a loved one. Jesus asked where they had laid Lazarus, and then he wept. And these were not tears like the mourners present. No, these were tears because of his deep love for Lazarus and the grief and the horrific effects of sin in a fallen world. Jesus is called the man of sorrows, and here we see him in his humanity as one who experienced incredible grief. He loved Lazarus, but his tears were not out of despair. They are tears of pain and true compassion. What a comfort to know that he has experienced all of our sorrows that we will ever experience in this life. And he is the one who has power over death. Well, Lazarus is then raised from the dead. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was in a cave and, there, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So the man who had died four days earlier came forth, bound hand and foot, his face wrapped up with the burial cloths. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go as he's stumbling out. I can say, nobody gathered around that tomb that day was expecting a resurrection. <laughs> Jesus is again deeply moved as he came to this tomb, a natural cave. These typically had shelves hewn out of them, and they'd lay the deceased on those shelves. <clears throat> it would have been outside of the village, so no one would be defiled by contact with the dead. When Jesus said to remove the stone, Martha is distressed and tells Jesus, you know, it's decaying, there's going to be a terrible odor, regardless of all the spices we wrapped in his burial clothes. Did you think Jesus wanted to go inside, say goodbye? You know, I, I don't know. Jesus wanted Martha to stop thinking about Lazarus's body and focus on him, on Jesus. Jesus told her that if she would believe, she would see the glory of God revealed. Martha then gives the okay and the stone's removed and Jesus thanks the Father for hearing his prayer. He wanted those around him to believe he was indeed sent by the Father. Jesus then spoke with a loud voice and commanded Lazarus to come back to life in this physical body. As most commentators point out, if Jesus hadn't specifically named Lazarus alone to come forth, then all the dead would have come forth. Can you imagine the scene? Lazarus stumbling out of a cave because he had been bound in burial clothes, and likely some people were there, they certainly had to freak out. I, while others 
listened to Jesus' command and ran and unbound him so he could walk freely. For the people present for this miracle, they had the opportunity to touch Lazarus, talk to him. Lazarus, it's you. And this was a true miracle only God could do. I can't imagine what it was like for Lazarus. Hello, been in glory for four days. Maybe they said, hey, we're sending you back. You know, <laughs> Heads up, don't get too comfy. I don't know. Anyways, he was called back to once again be in that decaying human body that, you know what, he'd die again another day. What glories he left behind the last four days of his life, but for the glory of God, which is the priority, Jesus performed this miracle and many believed as a result. This event is included in the gospel accounts so that we who read it will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We read nothing of the grand reunion that clearly took place with Lazarus and his sisters and friends and family. We never read about any word Lazarus said at, you know, at this time. The focus is on the power of Jesus Christ to raise the dead. This account in scripture is one that should bring us great hope and encouragement as well. When we watch somebody suffer that we love and Jesus is silent and distant, we know he has a greater purpose going on for what he is doing for his glory. These two sisters went through grief and agony of watching Lazarus suffer, watching him die, longing for Jesus to have been there and to stop it all with his healing power, but he didn't come when they hoped. Lazarus endured the pain of sorrow and dying. Jesus said this sickness was for the glory of God. So this sickness was so that Jesus would be glorified. And that is still the same truth today. What God allows to happen in the life of his children is not an accident. It's not without purpose. It's not without reason. We may not see clearly all the ways he's going to be glorified in the situation. But he's doing much grander things. Just as many uh, would come to believe in Jesus after this resurrection of Lazarus, there was also those who would have an angry response, the religious leaders, who are now set on making sure Jesus dies. I mean, they talked about it a lot in all of his ministry, but now this is the catalyst. This is the final straw. We have to kill him now. As one speaker I've listened to said, suffering is the workroom of grace, workroom of grace. It is the place that brings us to the end of ourselves, growing our faith and trust in a merciful, kind, and good God. There is purpose in pain. It's not random. I watched not too long ago, Johnny Erickson Tata recently celebrated her 70th birthday. And you can look it up on YouTube. It's a, like a five-minute clip. But doctors could never have imagined at 17, when she had a diving accident and became a quadriplegic, that she would be alive at 70 with all the complications that go with this kind of life. She talked about her suffering and how God viewed it through a wide-angled lens, all that he would do through her, through the accident, when she could make no sense of it as a 17-year-old girl sitting, realizing she'll never get out of a chair, can't brush her teeth or wipe her own behind. God was doing something so far beyond that accident. The countless thousands in the world who have been helped through the ministry of Johnny and friends and have come to faith. It's stunning. So when it seems to you as if he is late in meeting your need or the need of someone you love, remember who he is. The God of the universe, the resurrection and the life. He's not late. He's not unkind. 
He has a heart that knows sorrow and pain, and he weeps with us. What he allows to happen is to further his purposes so that he is glorified. And that is what actually matters in this life. It's stunning that the reaction of the religious leaders, as I said, is the determination now to put Jesus to death. Some believed in Jesus after this miracle, while others like the dude, we're going to go tell on him and go directly to the religious leaders, this is what Jesus just did. These leaders cared nothing for the truth. They only cared about protecting their own self-interest. The, the official decision, as I said, was made that day. He has to die. And you know what? The leaders thought they were in control of orchestrating all of this. But in reality, God was at work carrying out his predetermined plan right on time. Jesus withdrew from the area as the crowds were now gathering in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. The religious leaders desired to kill Lazarus as well because he was living proof of the miracle, but they didn't have success in that. Miracles showed the power of God, but miracles don't change a person's heart. The responses to the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead are described in verses 45 through 57. Some believed he was the Messiah. Some became hostile, and others were like, so what? Really the same three responses in our world at this time as well. Well, for the sake of time, we have to jump to chapter 12 where we see the incredible love and devotion uh, to Jesus expressed by Mary. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume but Judas Iscariot one of the disciples who was intending to betray him said why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor but because he was a thief and as he had the money box he used to pilfer what was put into it but I love how Jesus stood up for Mary let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. We see here incredible, heartfelt gratitude of Mary. This account of Mary is also in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, and it's not to be confused with the former harlot who anointed Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Different lady, different setting. But when you read all three accounts um, about Mary here, anointing both his head and his feet, it was an act of pure devotion and love, lavish love. She had sat at the feet of Jesus. Remember, she had listened to him and listened to his, him speak. She knew what he was going to do. And she wanted to express her deep love and devotion to Jesus before it was too late. So she took the most valuable thing she possessed, an expensive and costly perfume, a pure nard, worth a whole year's wages. Matthew tells us it was in an alabaster vial, and that she broke it and spilled out all of the contents. It wasn't like, you know, tap. <laughs> You're going to use part of it, say a little for later. She just used the whole thing. And then she used her hair to wipe his feet, which was an incredible act of humility and servanthood. Mary didn't care that it wasn't respectable to let your hair down in public. She just was thinking of her love and gratitude to Jesus what he did for her brother. This is a stunning and beautiful act of worship. She was extravagant in her worship. She didn't care what it cost her. 
Perhaps this was her financial security in her old age, an inheritance from her parents. She took such a valuable possession that she had, and without thought to what others are going to say, she just used it and then wiped his feet with her hair. The fragrance filled the house while they were all dining, and Jesus saw her heart, and he was so thankful for her sacrifice and for her display of devotion and love. However, the disciples present, as we read, began to attack her verbally for what she did. Judas condemning her as the folly to waste all this, could have fed the poor. And, and it wasn't just Judas. I mean, all the disciples joined in with the same comments. And Jesus stood up for Mary, and he praised her for his kindness, her kindness to him. He made it clear that this deed, which Mary did that night, will never be forgotten. And here we are in 2020 in a little room talking about what she did. Wherever the gospel is preached, it'll be remembered <clears throat> all these thousands of years later. What an example she is to each of us. Do we have this type of gratitude for all he has done for us? Are we willing to give him the best of what we have? I mean, whether it's large or small, are we willing to give him our best? She is a beautiful example of devotion and worship. I know I fall short of this lavish devotion and worship. It is so easy to go through the motions without true gratitude or without personal sacrifice in the process. May the example of Mary stir our hearts to reflect on his greatness and kindness towards us because, I mean, if we know him, look what he's done for us. This same lavish gratitude and devotion should be our norm. So I pray that we'll have that same passion in our worship to the Lord, whatever it is he asks us to give to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that you've revealed in the Gospel of John and in this particular passage that we have looked at. I thank you that you know all about pain and heartache and you weep with those who weep because you know it. I thank you that you are always on time, that you are good and wise. I thank you for the example here of Mary I pray that we would emulate her out of sincere hearts that are so grateful to you for our salvation and for the mercy you've shown to us, Lord. I pray that our lives would reflect this type of lavish love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.